0: Well, good morning. I'm trying a different device. We'll see how it turns. So, this morning, uh, just getting ready in the morning, having our coffee, perusing some YouTube videos as we do, leaving the sumo videos till after work and we can enjoy it. it gives us something to look forward to. Came across a video about uh, one gentleman speaking about another gentleman's understanding of the philosopher uh, Hume and I found it funny because he uh, proceeded to explain how he didn't understand Hume and he himself then almost immediately proceeds to explain how he himself does not understand you. And he explains that, yes, particularly in his second volume, uh, some parts I find uh, incredibly dense, and, and I just hope that maybe I'll uh, be able to... I can't remember his exact words, but essentially, you know, he was hoping that he might come to understand it. <clears throat> and it made me realize a big difference in... Different modern interpretations, and and the people like I don't know what to call them like you call a literary critic, um, but someone who talks about philosophy. Uh, the example I used was Bertrand Russell or or Will Durant, Will and Ariel Durant. But um, I mean, there's so many, so many. You go with Harold Bloom. I mean, even Thomas Merton has a great take on philosophers and literature. But see, the difference that I've found is if you have someone discussing someone else's ideas, if they only discuss their interpretation, I find that uh, that interpretation usually uh, is nowhere near as good as someone who will talk about what uh, somebody's, uh, somebody's uh, interpretation, like someone who wrote a critique or a response um, or an analysis or a commentary, whatever it might be, even a professor. I mean, I gave an example of H.L. Mencken, even. Um, for Nietzsche, the Solomon uh, husband and wife, the Solomons, uh, they tend to be excellent. When it comes to uh, Nietzsche's philosophy. So I find uh, I find it um, telling, is what I mean. That if someone's discussing the philosophy of, the, in this case, Hume, if they don't ever discuss what other philosophers have said about Hume and Hume's ideas, right? Because, um, I mean, I've talked about Schopenhauer having influenced so many other philosophers, but the Hume is very similar. So you could talk about, uh, who he influenced and how they interpreted or how his ideas uh, influenced their work. And through that, you can understand uh, the philosophy itself. Um, I've mentioned before that I prefer to go and read uh, a book or a philosophy directly myself before I read commentaries or you know, any of that sort of stuff, like may even avoid the introduction sometimes, um, just so I can get my own feel of it. I get that from Mortimer Alder, right, his how to read. You just go through it once and you read it. Then you go back again and do analytical reading. I also realized this morning that a big part of of me uh, uh, wanting to come to learn was uh, my introduction to Northrop Fry's The Educated Imagination. And I was really surprised uh, in the last couple of years uh, getting more comfortable with using computers for research and learning education I I came uh, to realize that uh, there's more Northrop Fry online than say for example I haven't found uh, an audiobook I'd love uh, to uh, listen to a couple of his uh, books I I got his uh, fearful symmetry from the library Uh, very long book right it would take me a Jeez, probably a week or, or two to get through this uh, but probably would only take me three days in an audiobook um, but his lectures on the educated imagination at least are available online uh, it's a CBC archives maybe uh, on YouTube and I think it's even on um, open culture is a pretty cool website that uh, puts together a lot of open source education and information that's on the web um yeah yeah so for me like uh for uh, Nietzsche I read uh Zarathustra for years before I ever uh, read any uh critiques or commentaries or bios or any of that stuff uh I read the bible multiple times before um I read any any uh, of of the, the writers or, or scholar, uh, scholarship on the Bible because, I didn't have any interest in that uh, at the time. I was just looking, uh, to get a better feel for some of the, uh, the allusions and references in some of the books, that I loved. Right, <clears throat> From Nietzsche, uh, Schopenhauer, uh, geez, It's a little churly escapes me but there's a number of authors uh, and thinkers that influenced me Uh, Well, Blake um, uh, Milton Uh, a lot of these authors were uh, influenced by the Bible and and they used allusions and references that you know you wouldn't get without reading uh, and understanding the the reference Uh, right so but believe it or not that's again, where I made a mistake and I've come to learn, right? So I went too long reading Nietzsche without reading anybody's el- anybody else's insights. Like, yes, I did come to understand Nietzsche uh, far better than most, um, but that doesn't mean that I didn't get any sort of insights or it didn't allow me to, to uh, get a, a different or a deeper understanding in places by listening to other... Uh, other readers, uh, scholars, uh, academics, uh, commentaries, whatever, whatever it may be, even contemporaries, right? <clears throat> I found it all the more richer, uh, of myself and the, uh, and the knowledge, all the more richer for that experience, uh, right? So I think that's the biggest lesson. Not only should you be uh, uh, interested in educating yourself and, and therefore having an imagination that's, pretty much Northrop Frye's uh, thesis is that the educated imagination, the only imagination is the educated imagination because without education you don't have an imagination. So uh, for years I avoided different subjects, different books, uh, out of pure stubbornness um, and it hasn't harmed me in any way. Uh, all it's d- done is, is made me love uh, the stuff that I loved before and find new things. Like I've mentioned recently, Hemingway, right? For years, I avoided reading his stuff because in school, they had us read. Like I, I, I love Conrad, but other than that, like Dickens, I found him too wordy. and Shakespeare, I just didn't. Eh. I mean, I, I told you, I liked Othello and Hamlet, but other than that, um, it just bored me. And recently someone quoted Macbeth, so now I'm going to have to go and listen to Macbeth and see it sounds like it might be good too but again not till you have that educated imagination do some of these works resonate right i enjoyed some sherlock holmes when i was young but i would imagine it'd be even better uh, a great example it just st- struck me is uh just discussing this with a uh, a gentleman on the youtube it's a booktuber uh by the name of greg and um uh, he mentioned that he read The Catcher in the Rye when he was young, and he wasn't sure if it was worth reading again. And and I just shared uh, for myself, I read it when I was young. I found it awesome. Um, and, and I read it for what it was. I was a little too old for it to resonate for me. So I was able to read it as a story of a young lad uh, making his way. And so what ended up happening is I've been researching trauma. And so I looked into... Uh, Salinger and trauma and uh, Holden Caulfield and and his trauma. And lo and behold, exactly. Um, Long story short, I came across a fairly recent Salinger biography. I highly recommend it. It's based on uh, whatever letters were left over and as many interviews as they could get. Uh, Even some of Salinger's own um, I don't know if you'd say interviews, but they as much information as they could gather and it was quite interesting uh so like hemingway he's another uh, world war ii vet right it birthed the whole generation of new thoughts and ideas Uh, the first world war i mentioned Jung's uh, philosophy was born of that and so many other uh, literary ideas the great authors right Sorry, I lost track of where I was going with that. But <sighs> Just my takeaway is, for me, when uh, a lot of this stuff uh, really started to blossom is when I started to enjoy the content for the content. When I started to read books for the sheer love of reading them and the beauty of the words and the ideas uh, therein. <laughs> And I wasn't looking to finish, right? Like uh, I am gonna have to try to keep track of what I read because I'm reading too many books for me to keep track of my memory. Uh, But for me, not keeping track and just enjoying the content for the content and the ideas for the ideas have been uh, transformative. And in so doing, like I've said, it allowed me to read other philosophers, allowed me to read other authors. And I was wrong in thinking that, and I I don't know if I think uh, this is a common thing, but the idea that I had developed my own idea, my idea was mine, my understanding, my perspective, you know, Even nowadays, a fear that finding too much about your idol, uh, you know, might uh, tarnish their image. But a fear that if you uh, studied too much into the life of a philosopher or uh, you read too many uh, commentaries, that it might, uh, you know, risk your understanding. No, all it's done is enrich my understanding and my love for many of these philosophers. If anything, it's just added more, more philosophers that i have come to love. In fact, uh, it's made me realize I don't understand uh, people who uh, get obsessed with just one philosopher. I know I, I talk a lot about Nietzsche, but uh, I just found it was the perfect um, East meets West idea I could have used uh, Schopenhauer but Nietzsche being as bombastic as he is I just well I didn't realize it would be this difficult to get across the idea because of some of the negative I can't believe see that's from me not reading other commentaries and critiques that's something that will frustrate you the the number of of, uh, accredited philosophers that don't understand uh, Nietzsche's philosophy are are not few. That's a, that's a good example of one of the most misunderstood philosophers. One of the most wonderful and I got uh, Jordan Peterson recently did a pretty darn good interview uh, with uh, The Telegraph. And in it he said uh, he can't believe that some people um, expect to agree with him on everything. And I've said that to so many people. I said, like, yeah, he gets stuff wrong, but at the same time, he gets gets a lot of stuff right. And I love this interview because he talks about my opinion of faith. Right? I've talked about this, and I think I even uh, even uh, express it in, in a much more um, lucid or uh, not lucid. Stop sounding like Jerry Peterson. No, I think I express it in a simpler way, in an easier to understand way. Like I can't remember how he explained it. He said, like everything is faith. It's trust, right? Because you can't know everything, and you certainly can't know anything till you've experienced it, or right? I mean, even if someone tells you something, you don't know for certain. You trust until you experience it. Many things in life. We trust without ever having experienced. That's faith. Faith is commitment, confidence, devotion in the path that you choose. We've said this for years, um, and this is exactly how he felt. But I've always criticized people because I don't know if they even. He says this. Uh, he gets uh, more positive than negative, but a lot of the negative he gets are people who haven't listened to his stuff. I found the same thing, the comments that I got when I was uploading the podcast to to, uh, YouTube were mainly by people who just weren't educated either on the topic or even on what I was talking about. They didn't listen uh, at all. Uh, An example is uh, one gentleman said I was being uppity, uh, elitist, because I I said that I prefer to use the term entheogen over psychedelic. And I explained in the video why. I explained it because most people think of certain, certain things that are psychedelic, certain drugs. I, I hesitate using that. Certain compounds, or, yeah, compounds are psychedelic, but with an entheogen, it just means anything that can bring you uh, closer to you know, this realm, this understanding. And so I like that because it goes beyond compounds. It goes to any sort of contemplative practice as well. Um, I've been using tantric uh, breathing, pranayama if you want. Um, it, it's a, a like you can use trimol, which is the Tibetan, um, just a type of uh, pranayama for so it's called the, uh, the uh, practice of psychic heat, hardening brain's not working this morning. No. <clears throat> but I've even begun experimenting with holotropic breathing but as I've always said I don't believe in like holotropic breathing they sit down very specifically they put on loud music and they sit there and breathe fast and heavy for three hours there you go you don't have to read an entire book on holotropic breathing now you know um, I am experimenting with the satisampajana version of pranayama. So what that means is, is anytime I suffer uh, from anxiety, or a trauma reaction, or any sort of issues, I try to be conscious of my breathing. But further to that, I've noticed uh, ever since I, I had a, a some couple of serious traumas in the last few years, um, they've just exponentially built on each other to the point where I've come to realize I suffer from uh, breath retention and that's an extreme trauma reaction in my case, especially because I used to be a diaphragmatic breather. I learned that, believe it or not in grade school from uh, what do you call it? a drama teacher. He very rightly uh, explained that most of us don't breathe properly. We don't breathe uh, to our diaphragm. We do a lot of chest pain. Here I was in the last couple of years, I've been realizing I stand around and hold my breath. And now I could be delusional and think, oh yeah, that's an advanced form of, of this pranayama. You get to a point where you don't have to breathe. Anymore. But now, now, this experiment with holotropic breathing has really transformed things. He's not wrong about the, uh, the diaphragmatic breathing, a little bit more rapid, not Wim Hof rapid. Just a little more rapid than normal. That gets you to a complex. But for the most part, try to do pranayama breath, uh, breathing, which is to deep breathe to the, the diaphragm. You know, seal box breathing, uh, whatever you want to call it, pranayama, this deep uh, diaphragmatic breath. And you want to hold it for a little bit and then release. That's the practice like all the time, right? But yeah, it seems unrelated. No, no, it's completely related because just like philosophy, reading uh, critiques, reading uh, responses, reading uh, other philosophers discuss the philosophy. Just like I'm saying here, I'm seeing a lot of people fail to understand philosophy because they don't go out and listen to anybody else's philosophy, anybody else's understanding of the philosophy or how it influenced their philosophy, critiques, analyses. It's the exact same thing philosophy, literature, poetry, um, it's the same as this breathing. I could have stayed uh, yo. Tantra, Tibetan Tantra, Tibetan Yoga, uh, Yoga Kara, Chita Matra, Pranayama, you know, call it what you like. But if I hadn't opened my mind to exploring other avenues uh, for this sort of therapy, I wouldn't have realized that, well, there might be more than one way to adapt many of these understandings. In fact, what I realize is, I think... um, what's commonly understood as Tantric Pranayama is far too slow, far too um, uh, conscious in the the breathing. It doesn't uh, help make it uh, uh, automatic throughout your daily life. And it doesn't carry that teaching to your day-to-day life. It doesn't have uh, the same wealth of teaching That it should teaching you that you should be doing this all the time all the time not just when you're stressed but even when you're doing good you should be breathing to the diaphragm and if i hadn't opened my mind to reading other people's interpretations of the pranayama, like you know me if you've listened i'm not the biggest fan of wim hof there's a couple other people who are really abusing some of these teachings like the yoga sutras of patanjali but you know um even with Patanjali, that uh, one gentleman who's completely misunderstood uh, Chittavritti Narod. Chittavritti Narod, I guess would be the proper pronunciation. And it just means to cease the uh, needless uh, slapping of the mind. But they've misunderstood uh, the yogic uh, teaching that I alluded to earlier, that um, you get to a point where you're so calm and in the zone that you don't have to deep, deep breathe. Like you, you you're, Externally, you look like you're not breathing at all. And there's a visualization that you're, you're breathing through your pores. And, uh, and they entice you to believe this, believe that you're actually breathing through your pores. And uh, so, for me, I think being open to interpretations and being open, have a sense of doubt even about your own understanding, mm-hmm. a sense of doubt about other people's understanding, I think that's all that's done is enriched my understanding. I liken it to the uh, Tibetan Buddhist PhD, which which is essentially uh, students that argue back and forth. In an attempt to understand your own understanding, if that makes sense. But thank you for your time. Have a lovely day.